This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Alrighty. Welcome back to Brojo Online. Uh, first one for 2019. Good to see you, even though I can't see you. Today we're going to be talking about connections. I actually had a question from one of the Brojo members of it's a very simple question. How do you know when somebody likes you? And at the same time, I did a post on Facebook asking people, like, how do you know how good your connection is? And got a range of answers and some interesting debate going. So I decided to kind of combine this all together to put together a guide for you to be able to assess the connections you have in your life on how healthy they are, how good for you they are, whether or not you should be investing more into them or moving away from them. We often see a lot of contrived bullshit on Facebook about, you know, how you can just walk away from toxic people and blah, blah, blah. And that's all easy enough to say, but toxic people are actually incredibly hard to identify. And they can also be mistaken. Uh, People who are a good fit for you can be mistaken for toxic if you're the one with the problem. So it's not quite as simple as just walking away from anyone who bothers you, yet at the same time, you know, my work as a coach, I, I tend to specialize in social connections. I see a lot of people have a lot of suffering in their life because they don't understand what a good, healthy connection looks like. They don't understand how to create it and they don't know, they don't understand how to identify a bad one and move away from it. Now, I'm going to, uh, at the end of this, I've got a little set of uh, bullet points to go through. And at the end, I'm going to go through signs that show you have a good connection. But the reason I'm not going to start with that is because good connections are actually fairly obvious once you remove the blinders and the biases you have that get you all confused about bad connections. So understanding the difference between a good connection and a bad connection um, and being able to identify those two in real life as you look at the people in your life is really as simply as removing all the things that make you feel compelled to maintain a bad connection. So I'm going to start by having a look at some of the points based on the discussion on Facebook and, and of course, my experience many years coaching people with this stuff and, of course, my own life experiences. Let's start with what to watch out for, the negatives, we might say. The things that you either need to keep an eye on or the things that are definite warning signs that the connection you're in is really just not good for you. Okay, so first and foremost, one of the things to watch out for is how difficult it is to assess the healthy healthiness of a connection when you like somebody, and even worse, when they like you too. It's really easy for two people to like each other without that being a healthy connection. I mean, liking each other is obviously a requisite to a healthy connection, though you can have pretty good connections with your enemies, which we might talk about a bit later. But one of the biggest blinders you're going to have around deciding whether or not to keep someone in your life is all the biases and the the psychological barriers that come up when you feel positively about someone, when you're attracted to them or interested in them in some way. And there's actually also a bias that makes you like someone more when you find out that they like you. You know, so just understand that just because you like someone doesn't mean that it's game over, like... Just because you feel pleasurable about someone and you think they feel the same way about you, it doesn't mean that they're good for you. It doesn't mean that that person should stay in your life. 
I was talking with a coaching client just the other day, and they identified that they had to cut off a connection with someone. They both really liked each other, but that other person was already in a relationship, and they were heading down the path towards cheating and, you know, breaking up a happy home. And that's a great example of a really obvious case of both liking each other, but it's not good to go any deeper into that connection. But it's not always so obvious. You know, my past is littered with bad fit ex-girlfriends, you know. I had a bunch of girls that I went out with for very short periods of time. And I'm not saying I regret those relationships because I learn positive things from everything. Um, but us liking each other was no way a sign that we were good together. Some fairly negative and painful experiences came from those relationships. And, you know, if that, that opportunity was presented to me again, I would not repeat it. It's the same with friends. I've had friends who at least appeared to like me and I liked them. But actually having them around validated my nice guy syndrome or brought out the worst in me, got me into trouble, or we were a bad influence on each other. So just notice that first and foremost. Before you decide whether or not someone's a good fit for you, dismiss how much you like each other. That is not a relevant measure. Okay, though if you both hate each other, that's pretty relevant. The next thing I want you to watch out for, especially people into self-development and who are open and honest with themselves, is that if you have confidence issues, you're at high risk of attracting unhealthy people. Like finds like. I've found that to be really true in the social world. You kind of tend to attract people who are in a similar wavelength as yourself. And I don't mean that in some sort of pseudo-spiritual sense. But I mean that if you have psychological issues, you're going to attract other people with psychological issues. They might have different issues, but they'll be equally kind of unhealthy mentally. It's just the same the other way around. Very healthy people tend to attract very healthy people and they tend to repulse very unhealthy people and we're all on the spectrum of healthy to unhealthy at any given time you know you can move up and down the spectrum on a single day but you have a kind of a baseline if you're kind of fucked up and we've all been there if you're really anxious and you're really insecure about yourself and you've got low self-worth and so on you're going to find other people like that they're going to be very easy to find it will seem and if you're really confident, you think quite highly of yourself, and you're non-judgmental, and you're compassionate, and you take care of yourself, you're going to meet other people like that too, most of the time. And you're going to have the strength to push away the ones who aren't that healthy. What, what people with confidence issues, low self-worth, tend to attract is one of two types, in my opinion. Fixers or manipulators. So I'm a fixer myself. Or at least I was. I'm, I'm in remission, you might say. And I was very attracted to people who were a mess. You know, my ex-girlfriends tend to be people who were emotionally damaged. Uh, whose lives were in disorder. A lot of sort of single mothers who, you know, fucked up careers and, and like uh, poor emotional stability. I found that really attractive when I was a fixer type. So we're both low self-worth. Just different types. And I myself, as a nice guy fixer, eager to please, I attracted a lot of manipulators. I attracted users and abusers and controllers. You know, I, I work with a lot of nice guys in relationships, and it tends to be a passive nice guy with a controlling woman. You know, they both found each other in their kind of sickness, and those sicknesses work well together in a fucked up way. You know, so the guy does nothing and the girl does everything. 
So when you have confidence issues, just be aware you're kind of vulnerable to unhealthy people. It doesn't mean that you have to cure all your issues before you can have good connections. It just means you need to get to a, a state of self-development, of, of shamelessness, of trying to be as healthy as possible, and that alone is attractive to confident people. You know, I can say now as somebody who I really, you know, I believe I have really high self-worth now, I can really connect easily with people with low self-worth as long as they're working on it. You know, as long as they're open to ideas, as long as they're into self-development, as long as they're, you know, interested in philosophy and change, that's all I need to be able to connect with somebody who's low self-worth. But if somebody's a victim, a dedicated victim, unable to break out of that, I'm not going to be friends with them. It's too much of a drain on me. Another thing to watch out for, a kind of red herring, is commonalities. Most people who complain about an unsatisfactory social or love life actually do have a lot of people in their life, except the the connections are very superficial. They're based on having a single interest in common or working at the same place. They just fill silence with small talk. They rarely go deep. They feel unsafe to be vulnerable. But they spend a lot of time with each other and they communicate a lot and they get the sense that this is a friendship. And for someone who hasn't had many deep and wonderful connections... This, is kind of, this might be the best you've ever experienced, and you think this is it. Or, if you're somebody who's really highly extroverted, or someone who's high on the psychopathy spectrum, this might be totally satisfying to you. This might be enough to just have superficial connections, because depth and empathy and emotional connection aren't of interest to you. And that's fine. It really is. But if you're someone who wants deep and meaningful connections you might find yourself surrounded by superficial connections, either because the other people are also um, lacking in confidence like yourself, or because they only want a superficial connection with you. You know, And don't confuse both being interested in rugby or both having traveled to Thailand as being a connection. It's just a fluke. It's just a lucky thing in common. You can even have a lot in common without it being a deep connection. However, it does tend to stack up. That being said, don't let commonalities throw you off. I have some friends, and even my girlfriend, where there's a lot we do not have in common. My girlfriend and I, we have different philosophies, different perspectives on religion. We have different perspectives on politics. We uh, don't like the same kind of music. We rarely like the same kind of food. I mean, there's a lot we do not have in common. We do have some things in common, though. A love for travel, a love for dance. Uh, similar views and philosophy around being honest and living by values. Those things we have in common and those things are important, but I really believe our connection almost has nothing to do with that. One thing to think about, of course, is you can have a connection with an animal, like a dog or a cat. You can feel totally connected, and yet you will have nothing in common. You've never had a deep and meaningful conversation. So understand a connection isn't about that. It's about something deeper and emotional. Another thing to watch out for, transactional agreements. One of the guys in the Facebook group referenced, he had received advice from um, marketing guru Grant Cardone that you should just agree, 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 agree. This is like some sort of Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street thing, or Dale Carnegie, you know, how to win friends and influence people. There will be a lot of people out there, especially in the kind of extroverted sales space, that tell you to 
maintain as much agreement with people as possible, to never break rapport, to never have conflict or confrontation. This is the advice of someone who's high on the psychopathy spectrum. Psychopaths are all about outcomes. And when I say psychopath, I do not mean a serial killer. I just mean someone who has no emotional empathy. They're not interested in emotional connection. They don't find emotions and connection to be of any value. Okay, And there's plenty of high-functioning psychopaths out there who do no real harm. They just don't care about people. They care about outcomes, and people are a means to an end. So if they're going to create a relationship with someone, it's to achieve an outcome. It's not to actually have the relationship, unless having the relationship itself is an outcome. Like some psychopaths can be very possessive about their partners or family because they kind of collect people as tokens of success. So when you're getting advice, I would stay away from the highly psychopathic extroverted salespeople when it comes to deep and meaningful connections because they aren't interested in that. They're interested in getting money and they see people as a means to getting money and it doesn't occur to them that people could be more valuable than that. Okay, people are just a resource to them and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I don't mean that these are evil people. I mean, this is just how their brain functions. Just like you don't think of connecting deeply with your food because it's just a resource to you. You know, guys like Dale Carnegie, Grant Cardone, Jordan Balfour, people are just resources to them. Okay, it's clearly demonstrated by their behavior and their advice. And if that's how you see it too, then great. But this this podcast episode isn't for you. If you want deep and meaningful connections, if you want emotional connection, if you want to be able to open up and be yourself around someone, uh, the full-on agree all the time, make everyone feel happy all the time approach does not work. It does the opposite. It creates a superficial connection. Another big one to watch out for that I think people are mysteriously blind to is consistent signs of intentional disrespect. For some reason, and we'll talk a bit about the biases soon, it's almost certainly the halo effect, we will overlook very obvious signs of disrespect from people who are supposedly connected to us. Okay, People talking nasty about you behind your back, People dropping plans with you at the last minute and creating massive inconvenience. People doing something they know hurts your feelings and repeatedly doing it. Um, People undermining you. People criticizing you and hurting your feelings even after you've confronted them about it. Especially that measure, like you've already told them don't do it and then they do it again. That's a really bad warning sign, okay? It doesn't mean that that person's a bad person. I don't believe there is such a thing as a bad person. But it might mean that they're a bad person for you. Okay? It might mean that having a connection with them is going to be unhealthy for you. And you've got to understand, because of this thing called the halo effect, you may be blinded to this. Now, the halo effect essentially is a, com- is a cognitive bias we have, which means that when we like someone, we tend to think everything they do is awesome, in a sense. And whenever they do something bad, we say it's kind of not their fault. Whenever they do something good, it's all because of them. Uh, I have a friend who's a sucker for this when it comes to men. So a a guy will open a door for her or buy her flowers and she's like, oh, he's such an angel. And then he cheats on her. He's like, well, I wasn't being very, you know, attentive to him. It's not, not his fault. You know, this is the halo effect. The idea that the person can do no wrong, that they've got a halo. They're an angel, right? And this will affect your ability to measure how well you're respected by people. 
okay? Because you're going to overlook clear signs, warning signs that if it was happening to someone else, you'd tell that person to to stop being friends, right? Like if your friend was being treated that way by someone else, you'd say, oh, that's bad treatment. And yet you'll allow that treatment to happen to you because when it's happening to you, it's a totally different story. And we're all like this. We're all vulnerable to this. You know, you can see people being berated and abused by their partners and you think, God, how do they put up with that? It's because from their perspective, they've got a whole different story about what's happening. Whereas to you, it's obviously disrespect. But there's there's been some great studies. Uh, you can look in the book Blink, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And there's a guy who studies like micro expressions. He films couples talking to each other and then like breaks it down frame by frame, assesses it for like three months and then predicts how long they're going to be together. And the way he's able to do this is because he's looking for certain emotions to show up on the face using computer technology, like facial recognition technology. And there's one particular emotion that spells doom for any connection. There's one particular emotion that means that they are not going to last, and that emotion is contempt. So when I talk about disrespect, I mean that somebody has contempt for you. They see you as unworthy of a certain level of treatment, a certain respectable level of treatment. They look down on you, essentially, and see you as being less than other things. So if someone has contempt for you, statistically speaking, the research shows that you have almost no chance of a long-term healthy connection. And signs of disrespect are how you measure that. Somebody respects you, they will not do contemptible things to you. And yet it's going to be very hard to see. Some other things to watch out for. The bandwagon effect. The bandwagon's effect is a bias where we kind of get on the bandwagon, don't we? Where everybody's doing something, so we all do it and we all think it's good to do. And where this affects connections is you might feel compelled to maintain a relationship with somebody who's like on your team. Now this could be literally in a team, like you're in a sports team together or you work at the office together. Or it can be more like you both have the same political views. You can see this right now in the extreme feminist movement. Some feminists are clearly detrimental to the feminist movement, and yet they're welcomed by all feminists because they want to all be on the same bandwagon. And because of this, these very toxic feminists are destroying the whole movement. That's the bandwagon effect. Now, what should be happening amongst these feminists is the ones who are like sane and just looking for equality of life for everyone involved should say to the crazy ones who think all men are pigs to just shut the fuck up and get out of the group right but they feel this compulsion to keep them in the group because they're all on the same page they're all going for the same thing they call themselves the same thing and because of that people that they normally wouldn't be friends with and wouldn't connect with are brought into their life and allowed to rule and run riot so you might have people that you feel compelled to be friends with because they're part of your family because they're friends of your friends, because you're on the same team, because you have the same political beliefs, uh, because you're from the same country even, nationalism, tribalism. This compulsion that just because you've got this core thing in common that somehow that means you should be connected. But you don't have to be. You can have somebody who's got everything in common with you from upbringing to politics to sexual orientation to everything, and you can still hate them. That's fine, right? You don't have to be friends with people. Particularly, this applies to family. You don't get to choose your family. I hope you realize that. And any compulsion you feel to maintain connection with family members is totally social programming. 
There's actually no real reason why you should have to do that, really. I'm in a lucky situation where when I objectively review my family members, they're also people who have been respectful and a lot of the other things that we'll talk about soon. There's good signs that they're a healthy connection for me. But I know I'm lucky there because most people have family members that are not. Not all family members, but some. There's somebody in your extended family, um, and possibly right there at home in your close family, who if you met them outside of the situation, if they weren't part of your family, you'd have no interest in being connected with them. They're a terrible fit for you. But you're blinded by this compulsion to keep the family together, to loyalty, to bloodlines, or some bullshit like that. That's all human made-up garbage. There's no reason why you have to be in a relationship or maintain a connection with anything, with anyone. If you feel that way, it's because somebody programmed you to feel that way. Okay. Confirmation bias. First impressions do last, don't they? But the idea that first impressions are accurate is, of course, almost entirely bullshit. So if somebody impresses you right at the beginning... You'll feel the need subconsciously to maintain that impression. Which means somebody might be able to trick you right at the beginning into thinking that they're a good fit for you. And then your brain will do the rest. Your brain will work hard to maintain that fantasy even when you start to see counter evidence. And you can see this a lot. uh, We used to call it buyer's remorse when I was into pickup and all that. Is that a girl will sleep with you. And the next day you can see her trying to figure out why the fuck she did that. Because you just bullshitted your way into bed. And this is a really difficult one for people to manage. You know, you meet someone, you felt like it was a good connection. You had a great first date or you talked to the dude at the party and you both love cars and whatever. And the next time you see them, you see some troubling behaviors. You know, maybe they're a bit more annoying than you remembered. Um, maybe they're a bit more racist, you know, that you uh, expected. But your brain goes to work to try and override that because it wants to maintain its initial impression. You know, always be ready to reassess someone from scratch. You could be wrong about someone for years. I have. I've had people in my life where I thought, man, this is a good person for a very long time. And then finally this piece of evidence came through and I'm like, wow, they're actually a fucking terrible person. And once that first piece of evidence is accepted... I can look back and see, hey, they've always been like this. I was the one who was wrong, not them. So be aware that right now you'll be maintaining connections with people because at the start you formed an opinion about them and you're trying to maintain that opinion because it's easier to hold on to the opinion than it is to face the truth about the person. You see a lot of people in marriage like this because they've married someone, they really want it to work out. Their original decision to get married, they want that to be a good decision. They don't want to accept the fact that maybe it wasn't, or maybe the other person's changed since then. Loneliness. One of the worst times to make decisions about who you should be friends with is when you're particularly lonely. It's like shopping when you're hungry. You know, you end up coming home with a trolley load just full of shit. And yet this is the most likely time someone's going to reach out to people. And trouble is, if you're also low self-confidence and you reach out while you're lonely, who do you think's going to respond? It's not going to be the healthiest people, is it? It's not going to be the people who are a good fit for you most of the time. It's going to be the people who feed off this environment. Okay. And most people, if they're lonely and needy and low self-worth and they reach out to someone confident, the confident person is put off. 
It's like, oh, that's a bit of a drain. Like, I just don't want to be around that. But a manipulative user narcissist, they'll love that, you know. They'll see that neediness and be like, oh, it's dinner time. And they worm their way into your, you know, they slide into your DMs and work their way into your life. So treat loneliness like hunger. Do not go shopping when you're lonely, right? Don't reach out to people when you're lo- Loneliness is not about other people. It's not about a lack of contact with physical human bodies. It's actually about the relationship between you and yourself. And I actually do a whole podcast about that, so I won't cover that here. But understand, if you're feeling lonely, the cure is not to surround yourself with people. It's to work on your self-confidence issues, okay? To create a better relationship between you and you. And lastly, the last thing I want to talk about watching out for is just your emotions. Connections are emotional, not rational. And that's a whole topic in itself. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they think that connections are rational. If you ask someone why they like someone, they'll give you this big list of rational reasons. Well, we both grew up in the same place and we both voted for Trump and, you know, we're both quite interested in traveling and, you know, he's got this sense of humor that I just find quirky. But that's all bullshit. That's backwards rationalization. That's you trying to make sense of a connection. A connection doesn't make sense. How do you know that? Because you can be connected to a dog. How the fuck can you be connected to a dog if it's rational? Well, you you both voted for the same people, did you? <laughs> you both been traveling? Dogs and humans can connect with each other because we have emotions, all right? Because we like the way we feel when we're around each other, because our emotions can get in sync. You know, I find it easy to, to connect with, like, emotional dogs. My girlfriend's parents have this little chihuahua, and I usually hate chihuahuas. But this one's so emotional, you know, when he's in a bad mood, he like sulks. And when he's in a happy mood, he licks you. And when you're sad, he'll come and cuddle with you. Like he's got this real sense. Not only does he show his emotions a lot, he can read human emotions really well and he reacts to them. Um, And it just makes him so interesting to be around and so fun to be around. And he doesn't have to be in a positive state for me to like him. I like all his moods. And he seems to like most of mine, except when I'm not giving him treats or whatever. So emotions are a huge measurement of the stability and and, and the health of your connection with someone. And yet they're often ignored. So somebody will often feel a lot of warning sign type emotions around someone, but then they'll rationalize away from it. So somebody, you might feel anxious before seeing someone. You might feel uh, stressed during your time with them and you might feel frustrated or depressed after seeing them and yet you tell yourself oh they're a good friend we've been friends since high school it doesn't matter that you've been friends with high school your emotions are saying i don't fucking like this person i don't like being around them you know if, if you're coming up to a party and you know a certain person's going to be there and that thought doesn't fill you with like anticipation or excitement or love or interest if you don't feel a genuine wanting to be with someone even if you can't get anything from them you've got to listen to the other emotions you know if you feel like on edge around somebody if you feel frustrated with their behavior often you know if you feel drained days after meeting them you've got to look out for those signs that's where journaling is really important you won't know someone's a bad fit often until after you've spent time with them so a lot of people, they'll, they'll feel depressed on certain days of the week and they think, oh, it must be my job, I had a hard day at work or whatever. And they don't realize, well, actually the night before they were spending a lot of time with their partner. 
And this is the this is the after effect. Being with their partner doesn't uplift them; it drains them, and they can't see it. But when they, if they were to rationally observe their interactions with their partner, they'd see, I don't know, a lot of manipulation, guilt tripping, neediness, something that drains them. So your emotions tell you a lot about your connections. If you don't feel great about someone after you've been with them, it's a warning sign. However, feeling really good's also a warning sign. If you're low self-confidence, if you feel really validated, if you feel excited about seeing someone because they validate you, you know, that can be a warning sign that you've kind of manufactured a connection. This isn't a real connection, you're just in love with the validation, right? So it's no clear kind of path when it comes to emotions, but you've got to pay attention to them. You've got to think, what do I feel before, during, and after being with someone, and why do I feel that way? Is it because of them, or is it because of some neediness thing, right? So that's my list of kind of warning signs because once you've worked through all of that stuff knowing a good connection is actually pretty straightforward knowing somebody likes you is actually really fucking easy to measure and knowing if someone's healthy and good for you is also really easy to measure if you don't have all that bullshit in your head all those confidence issues and all those biases ruling you and you know all this kind of commitment to to fallacies so the real work's on yourself, and we won't go into that today, but if you really want to know if someone's a good fit for you, the first thing you need to know is, can you be cool with being alone? You know, are you okay with being alone for really long periods of time? Are you your own source of validation? Can you build confidence without anyone else needing to say you're a good person, or needing to notice you, or recognize you, or even disagree with you, and just give you attention? Are you able to generate self-love? You know, that was one of my questions. I still think it's the best question I ever asked myself uh, at the beginning of my self-development journey when I realized I was a people pleaser and approval seeker and all my confidence was based on validation from others. I asked myself, how could I be confident if no one else liked me? Actually, I think the question was, how could I be confident if I was the only person on the world, in the world? You know, if it was like um, that movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. You know, if I'm the last one left, how can I still have a good life? And as I worked on that, and as I got to a state where I really was okay with being single forever, where I really was okay with a friend deciding he doesn't like me anymore, and I really was okay with my boss thinking I'm a dick, and all these things I was okay with because I had my own back. I, I could trust myself to be a source of, of love and validation and approval. When you're in that state, and then you still want to see someone, you know, it's really obvious that you genuinely like them. You genuinely like the effect they have on your life. You're genuinely connected to them. You're not seeing them for any reason other than for who they are. You're not seeing them to fill up your validation cup. You're not seeing them out of neediness and loneliness. You're not seeing them out of some sort of um, manipulation or fixing issue. You're seeing them because you like them. And they don't have to do anything. They don't have to be entertaining. They don't have to be impressive. They don't have to be positive. They can be whatever. They could sit around farting while being depressed and you'd be like, I like this dude. You know, so if you're cool with being alone for sustained periods of time and then you still want to see someone, that could be a good sign that they're a good connection for you. Okay, but you've got to know the difference between that and like a need for validation. You've got to be cool with not seeing them too. Yeah. Another good sign is they survive or your connection survives 
uh, your attempt to polarize them. So one of the things that came up in the Facebook group chat was the idea of honesty and shamelessness. So feeling safe to be yourself around somebody. Now, in extreme forms, this is polarization. Now, polarizing is when you talk about a truth that kind of makes or breaks the connection. It's not about intentionally trying to provoke someone and push them away, but just being so honest and so detailed and vulnerable in your honesty that they're either going to love you or hate you. You know, this is where you're honest about your political affiliations, and you talk about all those things that we're traditionally told not to talk about, sex, politics, religion, philosophy. You know, we're told to stay away from those topics because they're controversial. I say go straight to those topics because they're controversial. Because that way you know who's good for you or not. They won't agree with you necessarily, but how they react to your deepest, darkest beliefs and drives and motivations will tell you a lot about the health of the connection. You know, I I quite often do this, like I'll meet someone, within five minutes I'm talking about whatever my biggest problem is. You know, I'm showing them my greatest weakness, whatever my biggest emotional struggle is. I'm not complaining, I'm not being a victim and saying, you know, poor me. I talk about it in a responsible way, like this is the thing I'm working on because it's the thing I struggle with the most. But I found it's a deal breaker for somebody who doesn't want to go deep. You know, if I'm at a party, I had this at a barbecue not too long ago. I was talking about three guys in this way, and two of them walked away. Right? They didn't want to talk about that kind of stuff, they just wanted to talk about soccer and beer. But the one guy stayed, and then he told me about his divorce, you know, and we went back and forth like this. So me and him connected, because I just put this really raw, um, kind of painful shit out there, and the two people who weren't interested in that just left, you know. That's polarizing push them in or away you know with honesty so if someone survives that if you're like this is who i really am take it or leave it and they decide to take it that can be a really good sign the funny thing is manipulators don't like that very much they don't like raw vulnerable honesty because it's very hard to manipulate someone who doesn't keep secrets it's very hard to manipulate someone who doesn't hide stuff because if you're manipulating them they'll just say hey i feel manipulated and it kind of kills the whole deal they prefer to Manipulators like to target people who have something to hide, and they use that something to hide to maneuver someone. So if you show everything, manipulators are pushed away often, not always, but often, and people who are just like, finally, this is my kind of dude, I can be real with this guy, they'll stick around. Another huge one was brought up by a couple of people in the group is reciprocation. And this is what I talk about, the value of respect. So many people are in unbalanced relationships where one person is putting way more in than the other person one person's over investing the other person is under investing and the fact is if anyone over invests in a relationship the other person is forced to under invest because you can't both over invest that would just be equal so what you find if you're doing all the work if you're the one who goes the deepest if you're the one who talks the most if you're the one who initiates everything if you're the one who pays for everything or whatever, there'll be different ways in which you invest. Test, is this balanced? Now you understand there's always those love languages. You might not reciprocate in the same way. You know, I remember these two girls from Brojo. One of them invested with time and the other one invested with effort. So one person would spend a lot of time to show that she loved her and the other one would like bake a cake or do something interesting and in-depth and difficult. To show love. Now those are two different types of investment. And if you don't watch out for that. It can look like one person's not doing enough. 
you know, the person who does all the time might think the other person's not putting enough time in, that kind of thing. But what you're looking for is overall the effort put in to this relationship. Do you have to do all the work? What happens when you stop doing the work? Do they come to you? You know, this was a huge, it was quite a painful wake-up call for me when I moved to Czech Republic, is there were friends who, if I didn't contact them, I never heard from them. And there were others who, if I went offline for a little bit, they would reach out. And it was uh, painful but good to see who did that. You know, so sometimes I'd realize, hey, I've reached out like three times in a row to this person, and they haven't done shit, so I'll just step back and see what happens. And then I hear nothing from them, just total radio silence. I think, ah, this is not balanced. You know, if it isn't for me, this thing wouldn't last. There's other people where I'm like, just a bit busy or whatever, and I forget to get back to them, and they chase me up. I do, what's up? I'm like, ah, this person actually genuinely feels compelled to reach out to me. They, They want to hear me, see me, something. You know. So reciprocation is overall, when you look at time money effort depth of honesty um safety are all those things kind of coming out even at the end and if not why not who's doing more who's doing less why is that person doing less can this be balanced you know are you simply over investing and the other person just wants to be equal or is the other person just taking you for free kind of thing and if you didn't invest they would give up on you Another great one that came up in the group is safe disagreement. As I mentioned before, I totally do not agree with the idea that a good connection is based on solid agreements. I believe a good connection is based on the safety to both agree and disagree. With someone, essentially we're talking about honesty. We're always talking about honesty when it comes to connections. The more you can be honest with someone and the more they reciprocate that honesty, the healthier your connection is, in my opinion. So, agreement and disagreement are good measures of honesty. There's no way you always agree with each other. That would require some form of dishonesty. And likewise, if you always disagree with each other, that would just be purposefully combating, right? There's always, you know, a clock's right twice a day. There's always something you see eye to eye on. Safe disagreement. Can you confront this person? Can you show different preferences to them? Can you show a dislike for things they like and feel safe to do that? Can they do that with you? Now, it could be that you could have a good connection, but you're the one who's fucked up about this. So if you've got confidence problems, and you don't like people disagreeing with you, or you're afraid to confront people even though they're safe to confront, you can't blame the other person for that, right? But if you've like if you've tried to be different with someone and they bite your head off, you know, um, I've had people like, I've oh, showed an interest in something like reading, and they're only interested in like cars and fishing. And I say, ah, oh, like a bit of reading. They're like, oh, you're fucking gay, bro. That kind of thing. You know, that's, I'm not, I'm now not safe to be who I am. I'm not, I'm not safe to be different from them. I'm not safe to disagree with their preferences. Or I've had other guys who are just like, they're really into cars or whatever. But they'll sort of go like, oh, okay, so you're, you and reading is like me and cars. And you can see them like, they don't agree. They never like books. But they're cool with me liking books. They're not going to try and change me. Um, Or I can simply confront someone. I've got, you know, I'm definitely wouldn't be a Trump supporter, but I've got great connections with people who voted for him and would vote for him again. 
you know, I don't judge them on that. I fully disagree with them. If we ever have a you know, conversation about it, uh, there's not much seeing eye to eye, but there's a respect and a compassion there. If we disagree, I want to know why and I want to understand their disagreement, but I don't want to change their mind. I like them the way they are. And if we're going to be different on this thing, so be it. Quite often, like, I can be friends with someone who might engage in some really poor behavior towards someone else, but what really matters is how they behave towards me. You know, I'm not going to judge them for being whatever in other areas of life as long as I get the respect from them. You know, they've, they've got my, I've got their back in that case. You have to decide for yourself, but ultimately, if you're not safe to disagree with someone, then what kind of connection do you really have with them? You know, why aren't you safe to disagree with them? Is it in your head or is it because you've seen evidence that they behave in a painful way, in a way that hurts you? And this, of course, comes down to the other point I was going to make about being safe to be vulnerable. Can you be weak around this person without it being abused? If, if you share a secret with them, will they betray that secret? If you, you know, if you show signs that you're incapable, will they help you or will they take advantage of you? Do you feel like you can let them in? You know. Um, now, this is a difficult one to measure because a lot of people just don't feel safe to be vulnerable with anyone. And that's their internal problem. There's actually plenty of people out there they could be vulnerable with. They just don't try it. So the question you always ask yourself is, have I tested this? Have I given them something? You know, ultimately vulnerability is about taking out the filter, speaking things that come to your mind, sharing experience that pop into your head without a delay, without needing to check with the, the, the facts and the details and think, am I cool with sharing this one? Vulnerability can be tested in, in all sorts of ways, you know, like I'm very vulnerable with my girlfriend, but I'm very vulnerable with everybody. You know, I don't care what people know about me anymore. I write it in my books, I say it on the podcast. But like, I, my girlfriend has access to my Facebook account, for example, and all my emails, because she helps me with my business. She could read any message I get. She could go back through my history if she wants to. And it's not even that I trust her not to do that, though I do trust her not to do that, because we have such an open and honest connection. But also, I know that if she was to do that, she's showing me through her past behavior, that she's going to react to that in a healthy way. If she was to find out some sort of harmful information about me, she would talk me talk to me about it, and she wouldn't publish it somewhere, and she wouldn't use it against me. She's been given the opportunity to do that many times and never done it. So when you understand you feel safe to be vulnerable with someone, understand that this needs to be tested, because you can actually feel safe to be vulnerable with someone you should not be vulnerable with. That's how the best manipulators work. If you're someone with confidence issues, then feeling safe around someone is a risky topic. It's hard to trust that feeling because a manipulator will make you feel safe and then use it against you. And somebody else who is really safe for you might not make you feel safe and therefore you miss out on the opportunity. The key is to test it. Give them something they could use against you and see if they do. You know, And if they don't, give them a bit more and so on, okay, but don't give them everything all at once, if you're someone with low self-confidence and can't handle, like, that information getting out, one of the reasons I give out information willfully and publicly is because I don't give a fuck what you do with it, okay, use it against me if you want, I don't care, I've got my shit sorted, right, I'll survive it, um, 
you know, I like to think of myself as impossible to blackmail. You know, whatever information you got on me, share it. Go ahead. Until you feel like that, it's going to be very hard for you to trust feelings of safety. Um, but in being vulnerable with people, little piece by little piece, you can actually build up to what I'm talking about now, to the point where it doesn't matter if they use it against you. And the funny thing is, once you're at that level of confidence, you're very unlikely to to connect with people who are bad for you. And you'll be so confident that you'll be really, it'll be very, very clear who's a good fit for you. You'll be really uh, accurate in that assessment because you won't be bogged down by confidence issues and biases and things like that. And the last point I want to finish on that came up so often in, in the Facebook discussion and many other discussions I've had with clients. Can you be yourself around them? How different is being with them to being alone? You know, think about the things you do alone or about the things you talk about inside your head and or the things you talk about with your very bestest friends who you feel no judgment from. How close are you to that with this person? You know, how much are you different from that? You know, you'll notice that you're different around every person. And, and that can still be authentic. We just, different people bring out different sides of us. But how free are you? You know, there's little little things to watch out for. Like if you usually use a lot of swear words, how much do you moderate them around this person? You know, if... When you're by yourself, you fart up a storm if you're full of gas. Do you do that in front of this person? Do you burp and fart around this person? Do you put on makeup to see them or do you just let them see you like bed hair and fucked up face and everything? You know, how real are you with them? How much effort do you put into impressing them, into managing their view of you? Do you just speak your mind or do you carefully think things through? Are you hypersensitive to the way they're feeling or you just let them feel whatever the fuck they're feeling and you just do whatever you want? How you are you with them? You know, how different is it between being with them and being by yourself? So I could probably go on and on, but I wanted to give you a basic checklist. Let's recap that real quick so you could just listen to the end of this at some point and and use that as a quick guide if you've got someone new in your life or someone you've been there for a while that you're not sure about so things to watch out for knowing that liking each other does not mean you have a good connection confidence issues attract unhealthy people so if you've got confidence issues you're at risk commonalities and small talk and superficial relationships are not a connection watch out for transactional agreement if you're just agreeing all uh, all the time to get an outcome it's not the same as a connection Watch out for warning signs of intentional disrespect. Do they do things they know are bad for you, even though you've confronted them about it? And the biases to watch out for. Bandwagon effect. Just because you're in the same group doesn't mean you have to be friends. Halo effect. Just because you like them at the start doesn't mean they're a good person. Watch out for warning signs. And and again, it applies for confirmation bias. The original impression you formed of them is not the final impression, even if you invested heavily in that first impression. Loneliness. You don't make good fucking social decisions when you're lonely. So avoid making social decisions when you're lonely. Don't reach out to people to fix your loneliness. And emotions. How do you feel before, during, and after being with someone? Is there a pattern? What does that pattern tell you about the health of the connection? And good signs to look for. You're already cool with being alone, but you still want to see them. 
you impulsively, spontaneously want to spend time with someone. They occur to you as something you want to be around. You try to polarize them, it just brings them in closer. There's reciprocation and respect. You're both putting equal into this relationship, maybe in different ways, but overall it comes out to being the same amount of effort. Are you safe to disagree with each other? Okay, can you confront? Can you end up not having something in common and the connection survives? Are you safe to be vulnerable with them? Okay, does revealing secret and, and, and sensitive information safe? Are they a bank vault with that shit? Or do they spread it around, use it against you, guilt you with it? What do they do with that information? And of course, acceptance. Are you yourself when you're around them? Or how much are you yourself when you're around them? And why is that? Is it because of their safety or your issues or what? What's going on there? Hope that helps. It might just be old news to all of you, but I'm keen to hear your feedback. So get in touch, dan at brojo.co.nz. Please share this around if you think it was helpful. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast channel. Do all sorts of stuff, I don't know. But have yourselves a good week, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.